the Ortho PAC, hosted by Sam Dyer. Welcome to the Ortho PAC, where we discuss up-to-date orthopedic topics for the busy clinician. I invite you to sit back and relax as I attempt to fill in the gaps between education, current events, and real-world practice. Welcome back, Dr. Clifford and Maddie, the Outpatient Joint Replacement Center of America, talking about outpatient total joint arthroplasty. You know, I was watching Dr. Clifford's YouTube video on outpatient procedures, and he mentions a large majority of patients needing arthroplasty are outpatient candidates. How do you determine if someone's a candidate? Our scope has really expanded over the last three, four years. Three years ago, I would have said 70 to 75% are candidates, and honestly, the number and scope has increased. We're at the point where well over 90 to 95% of our folks go home the same day. Reasons to stay in the hospital would be very significant advanced kidney disease, such as stage four kidney disease. And even recently, I had a lady who was very, very resound to going home, even with her GFR of 18. And what we did in her case is, you know, you'd keep her in the hospital and you'd keep her on fluids. So we gave her some fluids and I sent a nurse to her home and we drew labs on her for two days to make sure she didn't bump her creatinine or change her GFR. And that's kind of what you would do in-house anyway with her. Uncontrolled AFib, which you're probably not going to operate on anyway, but if you have somebody who's an AFib whose rate is not well controlled or blocked with a beta blocker, they probably deserve a night in the hotel. And honestly, aside from that, gosh, I mean, I mean, really, it, we, we've done a 90-year-old hip who went home six hours after surgery. We've started doing knee revisions as outpatients. So we're doing knee revisions and doing a good, a good block and, and they're going home. So it's pretty remarkable. Sure, sure. Please tell our listeners about your typical outpatient total joint candidate. Are there guidelines and protocols? What about pre-op optimization strategies? Uh, education. You diffuse so much patient anxiety with education before surgery because giving them the knowledge of what to expect and the fact that they know they're going to bruise, they know it might not show up for two, three days, they know they're going to swell, they know they need to elevate, recliner is not elevation, two pillows is an elevation, five pillows is elevation. So there's all types of ahead of time discussions that helps to diffuse their anxiety and that makes them much more comfortable going home. We've kind of been aided with, with the last year that patients don't want to be in hospitals that spurned an even greater lack of reluctancy to, to be at the hospital. And they're like, okay, let's, uh, I'm happy to go home. And obviously if they have medical problems, like you said, optimizing them but with their primary care. So making sure their A1C is as low as it can be, their heart rate's controlled if they have AFib or anything like that. So getting a little help with some primary cares is also helpful. But from our end, it's mostly education. So regarding the surgery, and we're talking specifically hip and knee arthroplasty, is anything done differently as far as medications, surgical technique or instrumentation, uh, perioperative physical therapy, that sort of thing, anything different than the traditional procedures? Gosh, there's tons of protocols across the country for perioperative medications, uh, you know, appropriate multimodal treatment. And then there's some specific proprietary special sauce stuff that we do in the OR. But a lot of what we do is, is very mainstream multimodal approach with anti-inflammatories and appropriate pain blockers. And from a surgical standpoint, one of the keys is, is uh, being efficient for knees, especially keeping the surgical time down. Then your tourniquet time is lower, which means your quad doesn't shut down as much. So those folks are going to respond, come out of anesthesia and have a functioning quad 
that they can bear weight without an immobilizer and get up and go. So that number tends to be, you know, if you look at the old data from ACLs, you'd see quad shutdown with tourniquet times that are up around 75 minutes. And you saw a huge difference with those patients when that was well under 75, something down around 60 minutes makes a big difference. So if your tourniquet time is only 45 or 50 minutes, then the quad is very happy when it wakes up. So from a hip standpoint, ultra minimally invasive muscle tendon sparing approaches, whether it's uh, front side, top, bottom, left, right, all of that, regardless of what the surgeon chooses, if the surgeon's good at it, you minimize blood loss, you minimize soft tissue trauma, pain. And so, you know, smaller incision, less surgical time, more efficient, happier patient who can get up and move with less pain. Well, that makes sense. Are your surgical centers able to do a 23-hour observation, or do these patients go to a hospital if things don't go as planned? They can do a 23-hour admit, but we've been very, I guess, lucky uh, that we haven't had to utilize that. We, we spend a ton of time with folks, so anybody that we think isn't going to be able to, to get out of there, we do them in a hospital just so they have that, that safety net, just so we don't, we don't have to call in people to stay and things like that. Like I said, we spend a lot of time with folks and have that that safety net if need be so we can make sure that they're in the appropriate setting if something does rear its head. Any other thoughts on outpatient joints? I, I think outpatient surgery is, is without a doubt the future to help control costs with the growing number of joints. Growth has started to become exponential, especially on the knee side. So you're literally looking at 5 million hip and knee replacements per year as of 2030. So logistically, from a cost standpoint, um, you know, think about how many of those people are probably going to be Medicare age. Our, our system can't help but have those cases move to the outpatient center. Um, it's just got to be under the right conditions um, and by the right surgeons that are comfortable doing cases and doing them well. So um, I just think that's that's a really big, huge part of our healthcare system going forward. Folks, folks need to start really moving in that direction. So obviously a focus on outpatient procedures. How do we get this ball rolling? You know, we started working towards this where we are. You, you, can't, just jump, you can't just jump to it. If you're in a hospital setting and your length of stay is a day, then you know, at that point, you can consider trying to do it as we did back in 2013, 2014, you can start doing it on your first patient of the day. So you line up your first patient of the day and you sort of say, you put, you put your young, healthy human who wants to go home as first. And you say, all right. And you let the ward know. And you're like, all right, therapy's going to see you and they're going to see you early. So you call the therapist yourself and you get the team motivated to get around this whole concept. So you start there and then you go from doing the first patient of the day to the second and then to the third. And then once you get good at that and you can pick out the people that are super motivated, well, then you can start thinking about shifting that to an ASC. You, you got to start with the safety net until you figure out what's going to be the best anesthesia that suits you and your team. What's going to be the appropriate mix of drugs that, that work for a given patient population None of that's set in stone. It's stuff that you kind of have to learn a little bit by trial and error and figuring out what's going to work the best. Awesome. Flip and Maddie, thanks so much for coming back on today to discuss outpatient total joint arthroplasty. Thanks for having sure, us. Sure. Thank you for having us. 
Thank you for joining the OrthoPAC podcast. Join us for our 21st annual meeting in Nashville, Tennessee, PAOS in the Music City, September the 6th to September the 10th, 2021 at the Omni Nashville Hotel. Check paos.org for details.